everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman and Alex Garashenko, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season two, discuss the future of marketing. Today, I have Alex Osterley, the CEO of Blue Bear Creative, a social media first agency that helps CPG and restaurant brands engage young customers. Welcome, Alex. Hey, pleasure to be here. Excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, and uh, of course, love the plants. Mentioned that before, but need to throw that in the uh, actual recording. Um, but I want to jump more right time into- on them than I should. So. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, so I want to jump right into it and start at the beginning. Uh, so you were in college, and we talked before, and you initially thought that you were actually going to get into finance, and then I know the story kind of goes that you ended up helping some friends with their CPG companies. So what was that company, and how did that actually lead you to getting into marketing? Sure. Yeah. Worked in uh, pretty much a financial services sweatshop right out of college. It was pretty soul crushing, but I was good at the numbers side of things. Uh, some guys who played football at CU, some best friends, they started what was a temporary mustache tattoo company called Stash Tats. Uh, it sounds extra ridiculous now, but uh, at the time, mustaches were on everything crazy crazy trend going on and they their product was taken off they needed help with the finances and so that was my my in foot in the door in terms of getting into the world of startups instead of uh the financial services wall street path that i thought i wanted to go on and uh in that company it, it was chaos the sales were crazy for the first couple of years and uh they, it was a small enough company to where they needed help with marketing on top of the finances and pretty much every other department in a company. But uh, really started to get my hands into the the marketing side of things. And as a a startup with meager marketing budgets, social media was really where we gravitated toward. And so that became part of my responsibilities as well, kind of the content production the social advertising and driving the e-commerce side of the business uh, with really that CFO hat on all going parallel with that, that too. So that was really my first foray into social media and digital marketing and seemed to have a knack for it. And uh, we got onto a investor pitch show, kind of like Shark Tank, but it was uh, not quite as cool. It was on Discovery Channel called Billy Bob's Gags to Riches, canceled after season one. I think it got canceled before season one even finished. But uh, got to go on, pitch our, our product, get an investment, which is pretty cool. And uh, coming out of that, actually saw a good opportunity to exit, make an exit and partner with my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, a little bit of a crazy decision from some people's perspective, but it has worked out thus far uh, to uh, start Blue Bear, what became Blue Bear, and uh, really, the rest is history. That that company reminds me of like the early days of iPhone apps, where it's just like there's some ridiculous things that like blew up. Um, I, we had another <laughs> test that they did um, quotes from Drake, I think was their app, uh, and it just like they killed it with it. Uh, so if you get in those early days right. and you're the first mustache companies, like 
if there's a market there, it'll, sometimes it'll take off. Um, but I guess, you know, it obviously doesn't just take off. Let's let's give you guys a little bit more credit. And and obviously you guys put work in there. Was there anything that you did on the social media side that just like it clicked or it worked and you're like, shit, man, I can actually turn this into an agency? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff. We actually took kind of similar blueprints from what worked in the stash tabs. DPG e-commerce strategy and applied that to what what carried over. Applied that to clients we were working with. A big a big piece of that was, and it's something that still doesn't quite get the the love that it deserves. Is the community management side of social media, which, if you're not familiar, is really being in the trenches on your social media channels and engaging with fans, consumers, people talking about your product or products in your category or the topic around the problem that your product solves. Uh, it's a huge missed opportunity by brands, companies, big and small. And that was one of the first, it's something that doesn't cost a lot of money. It just, it takes a lot of effort. And uh, that was one of the, the first things that we tried to integrate with all of our clients, new clients, big and small, when we first started Blueberry. And uh, you see, it, some of the conversations are Hail Marys, but one in 50 turns out to be a huge snowballs into something huge. So that was that's one thing uh, that's more of a, the act of, of doing more so than a strategy or tactic. But um, I think the opportunity of uh, really the content video content forward uh ad strategy is huge there's just a lot of opportunities that opens up in the social media space and the the targeting that the platforms offer uh yeah that's kind of a generic answer but those are two of the things that we stole from strategies that worked in the, the startup I secretly love that you brought it up. You know, right before we we started the recording, we were talking about how we're trying to build this community and everything. And what I got of what you just said is it's not necessarily if you build it, they will come, right? Like you need to engage. It's not like you just put the social media out there or we just put the podcast out there and people just come. Um, and beyond that, this community, right? Like we're trying to get give our guests a lot more, either whether it's support or referrals or whatever it is. Um, but we obviously understand it's not just let's start a Slack page and maybe do a roundtable. Like it, it has to be a little bit more engaging. And a lot of what we're trying to do is is trying to focus on like how you build the habits. Um, and I'm I'm sure just engaging. Uh, there's there's a rule in, in sales that that says like eight touch points to a sale. So you're not going to make the sale in the first touch point, not even the fifth touch point. It's the eighth touch point. And I think you engaging with people one it's like oh my god there's a person behind this but two it's it's another touch point that hopefully then they buy your product or your service or whatever it is so um no i love that answer um yeah and to that point too i think it's important to go into it with uh, especially when you're starting up if you've got a cost intensive business like cpg a lot of our clients when you're in startup phase it is very bare bones it's very cost intensive to get that manufacturing up and going but uh I think it's important for any business to really build in, whether it's CPG, whatever it is, sampling or being able to give out, give something. It doesn't necessarily have to be your service, but there's uh, examples of how that one of our first clients ever 
somebody had reached out and said they loved the brand. Uh, we had found out, just checked out their Instagram, found out the kid was in the hospital for something and ended up, we sent them a care package of the client's product and cost the client 40 bucks in cost of goods. And that was a pretty easy to track ROI when they basically, that became the biggest fans would, the, the family would just stock the, their uh, concession stands with the client's product, brought it to all different team events that this kid's team was on. So it was just a little bit of generosity, giving out some samples that wasn't, there were no strings attached, but that uh, going a little bit above and beyond or going extra and uh, can, if you have expectations, you're going to be disappointed, but every once in a while, there's something that will pay off huge. So it's, it's kind of understanding. It's kind of like the, I don't know, not everyone's going to reciprocate more often than not. They don't, but when they do, it, it's usually worthwhile. It makes all of the effort worthwhile. Yeah, I think we might have to make this our uh, transition episode into season three. I like the uh, the community conversation we're having. Uh, now, can we actually take a step back? Why? Well, I, I guess I started with the step back, but uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about your agency? Sure. So we are based out of Denver, Colorado, founded back in 2014 and uh, started as kind of a digital do-it-all agency, thinking that that would be super unique, which we quickly learned there was thousands of other agencies that did exactly what we did. And so we started looking at what we could potentially do better than anyone else out there. It could be our competitive edge. And uh, as hungry millennials, we decided one of the reasons we founded the business in the first place, I guess, should back up is the marketing that was geared targeted toward our demographic, toward a younger consumer that was just so cringe and falling flat and I'm like okay there's got to be somebody out there doing this better and uh, the more terrible videos and commercials that we saw that were clearly targeted toward us uh, the more we felt the need or want to start what became Blue Bear so uh, with that in mind we really leaned into the angle of targeting younger consumers, millennial consumers at the time that this was 2014. So Gen Z was barely even topic of conversation, but uh, that really opened up a lot of doors for us. We were, that was something that we were legitimately better at than our competition. And uh, that begot some great clients that opened up doors at other similar clients that we were lucky to be working with. So uh, currently we are at 15 full-timers, uh, small but mighty, and uh, chugging along, getting to work, work with some awesome clients. And the 15-point mark for us has kind of been, the, to be honest, a little bit of a plateau. So I can tell you how to get to 15, but getting past that point, we're still trying to figure that out ourselves. So I'm being completely honest. It's uh, a lot of chaos for us above that 15-person mark. So the uh, maybe I'll update ask get intros to some of your guests that are above that point i i mean yeah happy to you know i would say that that 15 to 20 employee count is is like 
90% of the people that I see and talk to and everything. So I don't know, you know, I come from a little bit of the Amazon space and it's and a lot of Amazon sellers. I mean, you know, CPG, a lot of Amazon sellers, especially if they're just on Amazon, there's a cap and it's like nothing above. It's, it's really hard to break over 10 million. And basically you hit that 10 million spot, which is very hard. Um, and then mm -hmm. you got to, you know, D to C, you have to do Shopify or whatever it is to kind of start to grow beyond that. So, you know, I wonder, I wonder if marketing agencies are very similar where it's just, you know, of course there are bigger marketing agencies. Um, I don't have the secret, uh, even doing 50 whatever, uh, episodes. Well, I'll go back and I'll let you know what I, what I find, but, um, no, I think that's pretty common. Um, but I appreciate you sharing that and you guys, you know, let's give you a lot of credit now. I mean, you guys work with a lot of big beer companies. Um, how did you close the first one? And then did that end up, you know, helping you close the rest of them? Yeah, you know, similar principle to what I was saying earlier, which is kind of be generous with your service to prove if you've got a good product, don't be afraid to give it out. It opens, that's the best sales tactic that there is, is kind of showing the value of your product. And uh, for us, we, I was walking into a client meeting, got an email, cold email from the, brand manager from Anheuser-Busch asking for help. They were looking for an agency to help with Bud Light Broncos content. And I honestly thought it was a phishing email that like, this can't be, this can't be real. And it was just too good to be true. Like two of our favorite things like Bud Light, the Denver Broncos. So cool. And so with that in mind, we literally went balls to the wall. We we're like, we'll do anything to get this job. And uh, that anything entailed pretty much we went to uh, Mile High Stadium when there was nothing going on. We called a bunch of friends to be in this content and we shot a bunch of spec content to present to the client as here's portfolio work or sample work that we can do. And uh, we're hoping that they would want to buy it from us. They didn't, but they were super impressed with the work that we'd put together. And that was basically what won us the project and was our first foray into the beer space. Uh, project went well. We ended up getting uh, more similar projects from Anheuser-Busch. And uh, as that work continued to go well with Bud Light, they, we got some projects with Budweiser. Uh, same thing, kind of willing to over-deliver think of the scope of work is kind of like, okay, that's, that's what we're getting paid, but let's do everything we can to blow them away on what we're doing so that we can open up even more doors, uh, not just within Anheuser-Busch, but putting this work on our portfolio and uh, showcasing it to other prospective clients. And yeah, that is really what we did within our Anheuser-Busch work to get more work with Nick Ultra, Bud Light Seltzer and all the different Stella pretty much 10 of the brands that they that are under their portfolio and that begot more similar brand work uh, outside of Anheuser-Busch because we had that work on our portfolio to showcase. Are, are you supposed to say Coors is your favorite beer uh, more than Bud Light being from the area or not? not a... Well, Coors has never paid us, but as that's soon as fair. they do, <laughs> I, to be honest, that that was our first choice. We wanted to go after, after Coors, but <laughs> uh, yeah, AB hired us first, and so yeah, we're 
We're loyal. By the way, I, I say that just in case uh, if someone doesn't know, Coors is from Golden, which is right outside Denver, right below Boulder. Um, so Coors is like the the Denver beer, I guess. But uh, hey, yeah. our, our office is actually two blocks from Coors Field too. So yeah, we don't work with Anheuser Busch anymore officially. So if anybody from Coors is listening, we'd uh, we'd love to work with you guys. <laughs> well, I'll I'll try to send this to someone. Uh, I live in Golden, so uh, I also don't drink beer. So I'm um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm not, I won't ask you what you charged for that project unless you want to share it, but, you know, compared to what yeah. you charge now, uh, whatever that retainer is, whatever that project cost is, what percentage or however you want to answer that, did you charge for that project? Yeah. Um, we were pretty much willing to do that work for free. So the money we were making, luckily we had other clients at the time that were, we were charging enough to pay the bills and uh, stay fed. Uh, not that we were killing it at that point, but the, yeah, I, I want to say the first videos that we did were probably $400 per video, which say is made like, if we did that same video now, we'd probably charge at least 10 X that we would need, we would need to, to make a profit on the, that type of video. And uh, yeah, the, I remember even at $400 a video, we did like had for scope for three or four and the brand manager was like, Ooh, yeah, I don't know if we, I distinctly remember his gut, his first reaction when we laid out the budget, thinking that this was a steal for them. It was like $1,200. Like, that's insane. He's like, I'll see what I can get sold through. I'm like, Geez, I really thought that they were going to have a lot more budget, but I mean, <laughs> big companies have, tight tight accounting and uh tight supervision too so it's uh it's not just the small guys that are cognizant of of their spends that's crazy wait 1200 was their budget for the project that you guys won it's what we bid the estimate knowing that we were coming in very aggressively for what they're asking uh I don't actually know what their budget was. I don't know if their brand manager at the time knew either because to be, I don't know if this is something that needs to be cut out, but the day we were filming that project, the brand manager actually got fired. It was let go that day. So when we were calling him for like, how do, what do we do for this? It's like, I can't help you, man. I'm, I'm on a different team now. So yeah, that was interesting experience, but it did to get more opportunities within that within ab you have a few weeks to debate if you want to uh take that out or not i don't think it's that <laughs> if we worked with them still i would say definitely take it out but the fact <laughs> they shut down the regional office in colorado so it, we're probably fine yeah did that uh campaign go out to nationally or was it just a specifically local it's just that seems like such a low budget for them to, you know, to balk at. It was specifically for the Denver market. So it was a very localized budget, which to be honest, I don't even know if the videos that we shot that day ended up going out live, but the videos, video project opportunities that we got from that ended up being much bigger. And uh, one of which, was a it was one of the first projects that the new brand manager that we were working with offered us 
is a salute to Terrell Davis, Hall of Fame running back for the Broncos that did a made the mile high salute famous. Oh, I didn't I know, know that. Resonates at all with anybody who's outside of Denver, but the uh, Bud Light team can that year had the mile high salute, just had said mile high salute on it. It was the year that Terrell Davis was being inducted in the Hall of Fame that we got to basically do a salute to Terrell Davis with a bunch of Broncos alumni, uh, big people in the sports world. And uh, that one got huge traction. I was at a Broncos game and uh, that got surprised by that one coming on the Jumbotron. That was like one of the first, that was probably the coolest moment That's cool. since starting the company of getting to hear the crowd's reaction to our video, which was a really cool project that is on our website. So yeah, it was a cool project that opened a lot of other doors too. Was we he, undercharged for that one too, but it was much a much better budget. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's like the most important things that can be said right now is like the the honest truth around those projects. Um, I'm going to test my Broncos or NFL knowledge. Was it 97, 98 they won the world the Super Bowl? That is a good question. I know 98, maybe 97 or 99. I don't know, 98 for sure. Oh, okay, it was one, yeah. What yeah, yeah. Mantiti and that John Ella team and Shannon Sharp and uh, Legendary. Uh, legendary. Um, obviously, that attempt went well. Uh, did, is there anything that you tried that didn't work? Wasted too much time, whatever. Oh man, <laughs> too much. Uh, nothing comes to mind on that specific project. I mean, had we done it any other way, I'd say we definitely underbid it by probably. We probably should have charged double. But the value that that generated for us as a company on the back end, what being able to come into a pitch with a video of somebody, especially if it's a Colorado company, a video that we shot that was as everybody that they recognize, like you guys did this, was it, it won us pitches. So it, it, we went into it with that mindset, like, okay, we're brought. If we charge more or try to charge more for this, we might not win the project, but we know this is going to be such a good portfolio piece to showcase that it was worth it for us to take a, a haircut on that specific project to have that to showcase it afterward. And uh, now just to change pace a little bit and, and talk about the future of marketing and everything and looking forward a little bit, you guys obviously, again, being a little bit more in social and that is changing a lot more than maybe just like websites and stuff like that. So where do you see social, whether it's TikTok, we take this in any direction you want going in the next, or where do you see it going in the next two to five years? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, social changes so much on a month to month basis, even faster. Um, I think the user generated or user forward side of content is going to continue to be a huge part of content strategy. Um, I think there's a lot of smart partnerships and integrations that are starting to happen with the platforms themselves. TikTok, for example, rolling out of shoppable, the e-commerce features that Instagram has, but I think they're integrating really well with Shopify and uh, into the website side of things. Um, 
And I, yeah, I think there's kind of a general trend with that whole user generated set of things where people are sniffing out more easily the influencer marketing of people showcasing a product saying, I, I endorse this, there is a hashtag ad, but I really do like this product. I think that is type of influencer marketing is going to become less and less effective just because people have seen it so much. Their bullshit meter is getting even better. So yeah, I think it's going to be the quality of products is going to continue to need to improve because genuine reviews are and like genuine interactions with the product are going to continue to be more and more important because paying somebody to say they like your product, while I'm sure there's still going to be a place for it, is going to become less effective. People are becoming more and more numb to that as they see it more and more often. So is that your, um, in in your process, like I was looking at um, on, for your TikTok marketing, engaging with the community is one of the, points that you highlight is that is is that what you're saying is that it's going to be less on the um uh affiliate marketing or paid marketers and just engaging with your community is that how you're seeing the future i think that's a big part of it but i think the super polished there's a time and a place for super polished content especially with tiktok i think the being native to the platform is ultra important and just getting genuine interactions with your product is also super important i think it, just interacting with the platform like a user is it's important now but it will continue to stay relevant using the the features that the platforms have native to them like the music feature that's what TikTok is built around. So incorporating that as opposed to putting your own song on a on a video. Um, I'm kind of rambling outside of what you asked, but um, yeah, I think engaging the community is always important and it's something that's underutilized by companies, but uh, leaning into what the platforms are doing. because. Uh, mm -hmm. That's really what the popular platform is, what dictates what the other platforms do. And right now that's TikTok. So you see Instagram incorporating similar features with the trending music, the certain music or songs that are searchable or audio that's searchable. So I think pay attention to the popular platform because that really is going to dictate what the other platforms do. And uh, it's hard to say what the next one is going to be, but right now that's definitely TikTok. So yeah, you leverage the features that the platforms give you if you want to get organic reach from the platforms. And uh, before I jump, Alex, any other questions before I jump into the- uh, Yeah, I, um, is, um, I saw that the majority, if not all of the work that you do is in-house and um, as part of the content creation, is it, are you, like, what percentage of your company is focused around content creation uh, versus everything else that comes with running an agency? 
Yeah, probably say 60% of the work that we do at least is around the content creation, getting whether that's planning, presenting the creative ideas based around a content calendar, putting together a content calendar. That's uh, a big part of it. And uh, as things have shifted from being this high production value kind of sexy or food porn, which I hate that term, but for us, it's very, everything that we do is very food forward. Um, there's still a time and a place for that, but uh, started to enlist uh, creators and build, curate a, a group of creators that we can kind of turnkey knockout content that is more of that user-generated type of look and feel um, more effectively. So while a lot of what we do is in-house because we we're able, can control the end product, um, we're starting to leverage outside creators, outside, inside. It's kind of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. They're our network, but um, to really scale our content production abilities. But um, but yeah, content production is a big part of it. It's a it's and a heavy can... lift. Yeah, um, especially if you are going on location or on site to to get some of that content. And most of the business is coming from food and beverage um, brands. Are they usually providing you with the content and then you're editing or reworking it in certain ways? Or is it a lot of times your team goes out and actually has to, you know, do on things on location? Yeah, much more of the latter. Um, There's maybe 10% of the time there, they've got a TV spot or something that they've provide us to cut down mm-hmm. or have extra footage from a bigger activation. But uh, yeah, by and large, we're taking their product, going on location, especially if it's a restaurant uh, and shooting it there. So yeah, that's in- been incorporated into, into the process since day one, really. But yeah, the uh, that user generated type content or the creative Shooting that as an agency is very tough because you've got you need talent, somebody on the screen, ideally somebody different across brands, multiple different people across different clients. So it's not one person on every client's video, and then you need a location that looks like where you want to shoot, um, and then you need a crew there, which is really why we started leaning into that creator pool of mm-hmm. individuals at their own house just coaching them through how to shoot stuff, directing them remotely. So it's a one person crew, one person shooting themselves on the, on an iPhone. And uh, it solves a lot of pain points that the traditional agency model or production model is kind of restricted to in terms of production. Mm-hmm. That seems so some of the other uh, marketing agency owners that we've interviewed um Actually, a number of them have mentioned that they outsource their video production. Um, is that something that other agencies usually come to you for and ask you to help them with or white label for them? Is that common? Um, not for us. That We've had conversations around partnering or white labeling on the basically more comprehensive social media front. Um, 
wish there was more of that. But yeah, for us, it's we've usually worked more directly with the client. Um, we, as when we first started, we outsourced our video production um, and did that for a while. And uh, that for, we didn't have the capabilities or the know-how to do that in-house. And uh, as we started to get more comfortable with that capability and uh, bring on part-time help, who eventually learned from the outside sources that we were working with, uh, we started gravitating towards shooting stuff in-house, editing in-house, just because it was we could control it a lot more. The turnaround time was faster. So, yeah, I don't know. That kind of that was kind of a tangent from what you originally asked, but no, no. That I mean, that makes sense. Uh, it's a, it's a good way to learn and to then bring it in house. Um, sounds like the right approach. Are you? Um, I forget exactly the words that you use, but are you open to helping other agencies do it in a white label, or would you prefer to go direct to the client each time? Uh, yeah, open to really anything that not that we have, we haven't really done that before. Mm -hmm. So it would be a new area for us, which I only bring that up because it would be a learning opportunity or learning process. So if somebody, if there was another agency that had a turnkey process in place, that would probably benefit us as opposed to trying to lead that white label process. But yeah, certainly up into that. Okay. And then the last, last questions for me. Um, I had recently gone into the beverage industry as well in a, in a startup that I'm that I'm a part of. Um, there's a industry vet that I'm working with that um, worked on the beverage programs. So, for example, if like take Applebee's for example, they're deciding their beverage program, which what type of um, spirits, wine, non-alc, and beer they're going to carry for the you know the whole next year. They prep for that like many months in advance, um, and then. Uh, as part of that, when they make decisions um, on which brands they're going to carry or you know, what selections they're going to carry, there's a lot of um, resources that are shared about those products from the suppliers and, and, and from the distributors. And so far from what I've seen in that industry, there's, there's these agencies that are set up for compliance purposes, but they're also providing marketing support, such as doing menus, helping them with their social media, creating videos for them, things like that seems like that type of industry naturally to what you're doing because it also touches the food side as well would be a really great fit have you worked with those agencies before no i'm actually just really learning that they exist right now it's it'd be really interesting yeah it's so there's so many different pockets that yeah it's um i found out like it was like in the 1970s um the federal government um, ruled that retailers and suppliers, so take like an Applebee's and like Anheuser-Busch, can't mm -hmm. work together directly because there was yeah. a lot of like backdoor deals and things that were going on, um, which it's commonplace in other industries and there's there's no intermediary or um, mediary, um, but in the beverage industry, there has to be by law. And so out of that spawned like a few of these agencies that were there for compliance reasons to really control the use of funds are called like beverage funds. Yeah. And um, those agencies evolved from just being compliance to then saying like, oh, well, 
if I'm controlling the way um, you know you're transferring your money, why don't I also provide services of how you use those beverage funds? So like that's why you see like umbrellas with like maker's mark on them at, at a mm-hmm. restaurant. It's part of the beverage funds or menus are printed by them or certain things. Um, so it, they grew into these marketing agencies kind of like out of uh, opportunity. Like it's here, we might as well take it. Um, but it seems like a lot of them are not specialized in those areas. So with the type of work that you do, especially in the industry that you do it for, that seems like a, like a really good fit. Yeah, that would be perfect to our skill set. That Yeah, we've got, I mean, through working with other alcohol brands, we've definitely experienced that niche or that the crazy laws and red tape that surround mm-hmm. what they can say, what they can give out, who they can give it out to as an alcohol brand. but. Uh, really on the relationship between or with the intermediaries. Yeah. We have not been had too much exposure to that aside from taking giveaway stuff merch mm-hmm. to give out, give out. But yeah, that's an interesting niche that we could probably benefit from getting into or certainly learning more about. You get a yeah. dollars for all of those, by the way. Now, so we'll send you our. Consultant. Hopefully, yeah. We'll hopefully we'll you know in our community we'll have we'll have everyone in there. Um, for sure. Pull in. My uh, so my last question uh, before my last questions is: Do you get a lot of free food working with restaurants? Because my first company, uh, we used to sell to restaurants, and I would always do this thing where you know even if it wasn't around lunchtime, I'd be like, oh, you know, what? I'm going to stay here for lunch. Uh, what do you recommend I get? They'd be like, oh, don't worry, get whatever you want. We'll, we'll comp it and everything. Uh, so uh, do, you, do you get anything for free on the food side? Uh, too much. It was like <laughs> the first few years, I put on a few pounds just for yeah, exactly right. We'd have so many burgers and fries <laughs> just sitting on the table. At first, it was like, we can't waste all this. And we'd right. just go to town on like eight different burgers, at least have a few bites. And now it's like, it's really? so wasteful and it sucks. But yeah, like, ah, this is, I would rather waste than clog my arteries by eating it all. I'm, uh, I'm in the same city as you now. So, uh, whenever, uh, whenever there's an opportunity that you're going to throw out the food, you know, uh, you know where to find me. Um, uh, there's plenty. <laughs> uh, the questions that I ask at the end, uh, first one, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Huh. Other marketers, that's very general. It's tough. Uh, not to be a broken record, but I think to, oh, especially when it comes to social media, which is our expertise, I think a lot of people get hung up on follower numbers and impressions, but really the quality of your interactions and your fan base is the most important and you build that through genuine one-on-one connections whether that's through good content that leans into an insight of a specific audience or literally talking to somebody one-on-one by a community manager um i think that's where a lot of our biggest wins have come from the obviously you can pump ad spend behind content 
especially if it's good, it's going to be impactful, but it's hard to compare an impression from a, an ad versus an impression from a good response to somebody's question or somebody's comment on a post or video. Uh, and yeah, the, a, a good response can turn somebody from a fan of the brand to somebody who is a microphone for the brand and the products. So, so don't underestimate the power of those one-on-one interactions, even if you have a lot of customers. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Um, how can, and, and this is something that you've kind of been peppering in the whole time, but, uh, how can you work with other marketing agencies and what services can you partner with other agencies? Sure. Uh, yeah, the, we really are offering is comprehensive social media from strategy to the content planning, to community management, to the content production. So, uh, if you need a white label, if you're a, an agency of record that needs help delivering on some social media, uh, hit us up. Especially if you're a food or CPG or restaurant brand, that would be right in our sweet spot. Perfect. Um, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Uh, we've got a project manager account coordinator role that we are looking to fill. Uh, I'm being honest, we may we'll probably end up filling that internally with a Rockstar intern that we've been working with. But uh, but yeah, if that doesn't go according to plan, that will be popping up on our website soon. Perfect. But uh, we're always looking for good creatives, good account people. Um, so always accepting resumes, applications, and when those uh, when those jobs do open up, those are the first people that we reach out to. And they don't necessarily have to be local; they could be outside as well to hit that kind of like the other the second tier of people that you uh you hire for the creative work is that right um for if it's a creator they can be located anywhere we actually have i'll uh share our uh a new creator sign up form it's uh kind of a usually a side hustle for people who aren't necessarily aspiring to be influencers but hmm. are down to create content and we just have a flat rate of uh, 200 bucks a video with a little expense budget. So if you guys uh, want to shoot some brand content and get some free free food, uh, <laughs> have an iPhone and some good lighting with next to Windows. Uh, but yeah, I'll send that form over. Yeah. Uh, accepting new creators all the time. Awesome. But uh, located anywhere. But uh, yeah, we'll put that in, in, the, terms uh, of, in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be awesome. In terms of uh, full-timers, we typically lean more toward local candidates, just given the ability to build the team and culture in person. There's just something about it that it's hard to beat. But uh, we have worked with full-time remote employees before. So for the perfect fit, we'd be open to it. Someone's got to be looking at those plants uh, at the office. So you need someone. Exactly. To- <laughs> um and plus if if anyone needs any kind of reason to move to denver man that's that's it's a it's amazing here um last question any books podcasts or newsletter recommendations uh a couple books that uh come to mind <laughs> especially <laughs> if you are in the startup phase uh, lean startup is an awesome book 
uh, highly recommend. And then uh, the uh, Never Split the Difference. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about that mm-hmm. book. It's basically negotiating tactics that mm. have shaped a lot of our deals and proposals, negotiations with on salary, on what we charge. It's it's an incredible book. Somebody, a uh, founder, the founder of Birch Vendors Pancake Mix Company, mm. super analytical, recommended that book as the most impactful book she'd ever read. I was like, we'll see. But I listened mm-hmm. to it, and I've listened to it twice since. It's it really is an amazing book. Everybody should listen to that, not just yeah. I've done this. I listened to it twice over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on it then. I, I've definitely heard of it. I don't know. I, I I haven't read it, and I don't know if anyone's recommended it yet. Um, so damn, two for two for two there. Um, nice. As we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Yeah, hit us up. Uh, just go to our website, bluebearcreative.co. No M at the end. Dot com was already taken, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, our website's the best place to to learn about us check out our work samples uh we're on tiktok blue bear creates instagram facebook twitter x whatever you want to call it uh so yeah blue bear creates is our user handle blue bear creative was a little long for some of the platforms but uh our website socials check us out and uh if you reach out to our info blue bear email it uh it lands in my inbox so reach out there if you're trying to get in touch you're the uh, second person in a row that uh, that admitted that, I guess I would say. Uh, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and for those of you who have learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Alex, uh, this was awesome. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Hey, pleasure to join you guys and love what you're doing. So keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.